0: And why I fell in love with flying trapezes is that when you land in the net and you realize you're different, you say, I had no idea I was capable of that. And if that's true, what else am I not, you know, aware that I'm capable of?
1: So the question is this, how do regenerative-minded change makers like us, who are creating projects designed for environmental wellness, social equity, and security for future generations, accomplish our missions in ways that maintain our ethics without leaving us struggling to survive? Welcome to Regeneration Nation Costa Rica. I'm your host, Jason Thomas, and I've been exploring innovators around Costa Rica to discover what they're doing to contribute to a regenerative nation. Join me on the journey as we explore who's doing what to usher in a new world that prioritizes regenerative agriculture, business models that value multiple forms of capital and a circular economy, communities designed for local resilience, and government initiatives that prioritize the well-being of the people as well as the planet. In today's episode, I meet with Jonathan Conant, a seasoned performer and coach of the aerial arts. He teaches trapeze and aerial silk skills in one of the most enriching environments a student could hope to learn them in. We talk at length about Jonathan's practice of guiding students to explore flow state as a tool for unlocking unrealized potential and enriched self-awareness. We also talk about a number of the small touches that Jonathan places along his guests' experience, from the first contacts he makes with them by email, down to getting them involved in cleaning up each other's dishes after sharing a meal. Jonathan uses the word milieu several times in this interview. Milieu refers to the way that we create and keep our space and what a significant effect that has on our guests' experiences. This applies even to their ability to assimilate what we have to teach them. I'll have to say this was probably one of the most fun interview visits I've been on so far. I made sure to arrive to Jonathan's place plenty early in the day to get in on his morning trapeze class. I filmed a little video of the class while I was there. Make sure to check it out on our YouTube channel on the Farm Tour playlist when you get a chance. With all that being said, I'll leave you to enjoy our conversation. I'm here today with Jonathan Conant of Airborne Arts. We're in the Diamante Valley of the South Pacific of Costa Rica on a ridgetop overlooking the ocean and many other beautiful things. Mm-hmm. And Jonathan created this place about eight years ago. And besides your background, why did you come to Costa Rica to buy land and bring your
0: trade here to, uh, mm-hmm. for this stage of your adventure? Yeah. Thank you for the kind introduction. It's really fun to be able to have a talk with you. I want to start by saying that um, I actually started the business with my partner Christine Van Lu. Uh, she's a world class aerialist and and becoming a world class speaker, and very talented, uh, smart, and loving person that helped with getting this place off the ground. So my background is in human development, and I've always been very interested in seeing what I could do to try to align our race into a more peaceful existence. And so even though I've done, oh, everything from drudgery work to like, you know, flying people on the flying trapeze, it's always with the mind of how do I do what I do in a way that helps improve the quality of my life and thus improve the quality of other people's lives. So the basic answer to like why trapeze, other than the fact that it was sort of sort of fell into my life on its own in a way, but the basic answer is to why is because it's a, a tremendous system for addressing and upgrading people's quality of life. Why Costa Rica? Well, uh, my partner at the time and I looked actually all over the world, and it's kind of funny because we've both been coming to Costa Rica, we both loved Costa Rica and thought it was an awesome place to be, But at the time we had been so many places together and seen so many awesome spaces where this might happen that we just felt like we wanted to go out and see what was the most exotic possibility but over time and through the grace of things just sort of falling out that way the more we thought about the people here and that's like the indigenous people the ticos and how kind and welcoming they are how accepting they are of new ideas The fact that you can get water that's literally falling out of the sky and filtered by the mountain through your tap, I mean, that's a pretty big deal. Mm -hmm. The fact that you could fly here from LA in five hours, like I could fly here quicker than I could fly to my business in New York City from LA sometimes. And the fact that we both really loved it here and kind of understood what the culture was like, I think those were the driving forces of choosing Costa Rica. And when we first came to Costa Rica, we didn't really have a good sense of where we might put the rig in i had some friends that i had brought down with my first flying rig here about 20 years ago and we looked in those areas which were more on the nicoya peninsula but it turned out that um most of that land was pretty sold out and the and the the land had gotten pretty dry pretty unfertile and uh two things happened that were kind of interesting i guess um one was that we were sort of giving up we had looked around in that area and we weren't really seeing what we wanted and we just about to take off. And somebody said, Oh, you should go look at the Diamante Valley. Like it's really magic there. And, um, so yeah, why not? We'll go take a look at it. And literally like the day we drove in, we were just like, no way. (laughs) Like we thought Costa Rica was beautiful. We had no idea of how beautiful it could be. And we fell in love with the area. And then we found a piece of property that was unbelievable. It's at the base of the tallest waterfall in Costa Rica And we made a deal with the guys to buy the piece of land. And we went home and got our money organized to come back and buy it. And when we got back, it turned out to be a bait and switch. So again, we were feeling frustrated and kind of threw our hands up in the air and we're deciding, ah, well, we'll we'll just go home and try something else. And just before we were going to get in our car and drive back to the airport, we saw a listing that was very suspiciously like the other listing we had seen that was a bait and switch. And we were like, yeah, but it's a different number. So let's go take a look. And so we came up to this piece of property, and in fact, it did turn out to be a bait and switch, it was another piece of property behind this property, and we very quickly were like, yeah, we're not interested. And as soon as we said we weren't interested and we're about to leave, the guy who was really needing to sell some property and make some money said, ah, come take a look at this other house I'm building. And so we walked over, and sure enough, like, the place was spectacular, it had plenty of space, and a gorgeous view of the tallest waterfall in Costa Rica. Wow. A gorgeous view of the ocean and a gorgeous view of the valley, perfect breezes, so kind of a no-brainer. So no, you got a nice the place and cash here. that day. Yeah.
1: Right on. Mm-hmm. And since you when you when you got the place, you said the house that we're in now, which is just magical, but you said it was more of just kind of a
0: straightforward boxy shell of a house that you originally had? Yeah. So the guy who sold us the property had been working on the house and had sort of taken it to a point and then ran out, you know, ran out of money. And so it was basically a shell. And we came in and, you know, stripped everything that he had in the house out and and fumigated the place and made it clean. I have a lot of friends who are artists from around the world who I've sort of don't collect art, but I collect artists (laughs) and very fortunate. Uh, And I just called upon them and said, Hey, come and, you know, here's a budget and do your thing. And I think there's probably 10 artists represented in the house and we just let them go and they just turned it. it I mean, the concept was we want elegant Hobbit basically. Okay. And that's pretty much what we got.
1: It's got that vibe. Yeah. 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 And, uh, actually uh, up in the the upstairs, your your room up there is more like an elfin exactly castle. kind correct. of Correct. Yep. Yep. You got them both. Yeah. I love that. I love that idea of just being like, I don't know, what are we going to do with the place? Let's call our artist friends. Yeah. Just have them go at it and you definitely got suitable results. Nice. And the rest of the land here, was it pretty open like this and you've been planting it or did you have to make some space for what you wanted to do?
0: You're exactly correct. So when we came, the area out here at the front door was a driveway and there wasn't a pool or a deck or anything. And so I wanted this to be like a really natural feeling entrance. And so we spent two years searching out rocks and rivers big flat rocks and it th- most of averaging about two or 300 pounds and walking them down the rivers as a team and bringing up and placing them here in the walkway. And that's why this is all natural rock. Same with the stairways. There weren't really any plants on the property at the time. The The old owner wanted it bare and had it very, very bare. And over the years we've been planting and we've sort of reached a point now where there's enough you know, fruit to supply the house and several neighbors and we're Just at a point where I can feed myself and maybe one or two other people with vegetation. And then in the next few years, it'll be pretty much enough of everything to feed like a family here. So that when we have, you know, guests staying, we take them around and we show them the different herbs and vegetables and fruits that are growing, which are quite unique really to this area. And uh, yeah, I think that's a good experience for people to see how it can happen without like having to really super focus on making it happen. You Mm -hmm. plant it, you make sure it plants in a place that it is happy and then you just kinda of let it do its thing. Yeah, it's a nice thing about the tropics here. We have so
1: many perennial plants exactly. that you can just put in the ground and count on for annual food without <laughs> exactly. much maintenance. Yeah, that's yeah. great. And so you you've designed the place for some with some food in mind. Obviously the aerial rig is the kind of center piece of the project. Is there anything else? I know you talked to me earlier about you know, the little experiences you offer people. Now, before we go into that, you, you host people, you host groups, large groups. You said you can host how many people here at a time? Hey there, fellow visionary leaders, retreat hosts, and community builders. I got a special resource for you. Are you managing a project that has communally used spaces? Would you like to enhance their sense of harmony and clarity for both members and visitors alike? The Community Living Agreements training is for you. Discover how to craft agreements that enhance interactions, reduce conflict, and build a stronger community spirit. It's not just a rule book you'd be creating. It's a living document that makes your project a joy to interact with. Head to regenerationnationcr.com forward slash CLA to access the recordings. To save 20% use the coupon code podcast. Again, that URL is RegenerationNationCR.com forward slash C-L-A and the coupon code is podcast. Sharing communal spaces is better with clear agreements.
0: So our comfort zone is groups between eight and 15, Mm -hmm. but we can, we have, and, and quite often host groups up to 25 people.
1: Wow, when you start getting over eighteen, that's a bunch of people. Yeah, uh, that's kind of pushing it to the the edge of the sweet spot, for right? For sure, for sure. Yeah, and hosting people, I've hosted people in a, a wide variety of settings at my place, um, being you know a chef at other places, and uh, well, so on. I've helped with a lot of events so I understand the dynamic of having a new group coming in again and again and again and again. And then in between those groups, you're still doing classes for like folks in the neighborhood, That's right? Correct, yeah. Yeah. So how do you, as a, at this point, you seem like you're kind of a solopreneur with this. Do you have any active partners that are really helping you keep on top of the grind with it?
0: Well, there's definitely a team in place. So we, uh, my ex-partner and I still works and helps me out with things. Um, she handles some of the accounting and it's sort of helping me keep track of um, making sure that all our I's are you know dotted and our T's are crossed. And then we have an accounting team which consists of two people that help us design our spreadsheets that help us track information as, as people come and go and then a, and an accountant. And then in each aspect of the, of the team... There are people who sort of specialize. We have our aerial coaches, we have our flying trapeze coaches. So we have we definitely have a lot of help. I'm definitely, you know, leading the team. The ring leader. But I'm <laughs> in no way am I alone.
1: Okay. Yeah. Great. And so what are some of the things you've learned over the years here in hosting people where you found yourself coming into your edge or getting pushed over your edge hmm. that you've kind of implemented as safeguards to that so that you can keep your kind of your momentum, but also your peace through it
0: all? Right. How do you keep That's that balance? That's a really good question. So I have some advantages and some disadvantages, and I'll put those out first. Like my Probably my biggest advantage is that because of the company I had in the U.S., which is the same kind of thing, I already had a name in the world that I was trying to draw on initially. So I had a base of clientele that I was pretty sure was going to come down. And then secondly, and the cool thing about that is that unlike going to a retreat center where you don't know the person who owns the retreat center, I have a name in my business and I'm kind of older now. I'm like the old coach. So instead of going to like a retreat center, that's like a hotel, you're kind of going to your coach's house. And that's a little bit of different vibe because when I set up retreats with people, they very quickly sort of understand, like I'm a master in my field. Right. And you can't just come here and and expect to be treated like you're at a hotel, like you're actually staying at someone's house who's been in the field you're interested in for Mm -hmm. many, many years. And there's a respect that comes along with that. So when people show up, instead of sort of having an attitude of like, oh, you know, when's my room going to be ready? It's more like, wow, thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to like be at your place. And that has helped me out a lot. And it's important for me because emotionally, like, I don't feel like I am a hotel owner at any level. I feel like I'm someone who provides a very particular kind of experience. And while I don't need to market that per se, it is important to me that people understand that there's a lot of love and investment in this job, in this business. And that when they come, it's a privilege to be here, even though they're paying for it, it's still a privilege because if you have, you know, 1500 to $2,500 you could go anywhere with that money, but where are you going to go where somebody really is going way out of their way to make sure that you have a deep experience for that money, that you're not just getting a few meals a day, that you're not just getting a clean room, but that you're going to walk out of here feeling loved, feeling full. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's kind of like a, a premise for how I do business, which helps me a lot. So if you were to ask me like, you know what is one of the foundational concepts of how I do business I would say do business in a way that garners respect make sure that you are feeling respected by everyone who passes on your property because you cannot separate emotionally from your investment you can look at your place and say oh I've got a hotel I shouldn't feel upset if somebody comes in and trashes the room by the same token if you set up the vibe and the story correctly People should feel really good about having had the opportunity. And it's as simple as like adding a bit of, like just showing them that you're providing something special, adding a bit of artism, making sure that they feel like they understand why you do business the way you do before they get to you. And then when they get here, welcoming them in a way that makes them feel like, oh, I'm not just like walking into a random business. Like this is somebody's project of love. And I think that that fills everybody's cup up much, much better.
1: Okay so that's one of the things that you're doing to kind of keep your experience grounded so that you're not being pulled off in all of these distractive directions you're you're Creating an environment so that when people arrive, they know there's somewhere where there's a program going on, Mm -hmm. they've signed up for it, and they're going to be taken care of. And more than that, they're in somebody's home. And I think that's a lot of the places that I visit, you know, a lot of the projects, these kind of homestead, Mm eco-lodge, transformation stations, Mm -hmm. they are, you know, a lot of times just for whatever economic or space or just desire reasons. They're living within the groups that they're hosting. And that, like you said, it really, um, it's a very different experience than going to like just an eco lodge or a hotel Mm -hmm. where you're just going to have your accommodation and your services. And so you do a variety of special things to keep people aware of that. And I'd love to go deeper into that, but first tell me a little bit more about, is there anything that you are doing now that's different than you were doing when you started? I know you started with lots of experience hosting these types of workshops Mm -hmm. in your other businesses. Mm -hmm. Is this your first time having like a rural residential kind of retreat center type environment or have your other business ventures been of that same?
0: That's a great question. I have had businesses that were rural, but never like the retreat center model. Uh In fact, my other businesses or the major business trapeze school, New York, that was all city-based, obviously New York city. That's you can't get to be more city-based than that. So, and that is definitely a different kind of environment. I think there are a lot of things that we're doing differently. Obviously over the years, you kind of, you have to modify or you go under, A couple of the things are, and most of it has to do with getting out of your own head about what you think people want and figuring out what they really want. Oh boy. That is such a good lesson. And not letting the people who are outliers, who want something that's specific, draw you into believing that that's what everybody wants. Hmm. So um, it's very easy to say, okay, I'm going to provide this level of food or this level of food service. And then you sort of realize, well, you know, most people don't really feel like they need that much rich food. And when, certainly when they're training, they might want food that feeds their bodies in a different way than like having something super elegant and rich. And so you, you try to modify and give options so that people are kind of dialing in what it is that they receive from you. But there will always be the outlier, the person who wants things very specific and very, you know, they probably don't even know themselves what they're looking for. They just know they're spending money. They've gone out of town. They've put their lives on hold, you know, maybe they're missing their partners, whatever it is, the need that they're trying to fill causes them to be much more needy than the other clients. And it's very easy to fall into like, Oh, well, I guess we have to provide this now for everybody in the future. I think it's important to know that those people are going to be there and you do your best to make them comfortable and happy, but that doesn't need to influence you know, your genre, you can just continue to do what you see. That's working as a general rule Mm -hmm. and allow people to still not be happy with your product perfectly and do your best. Mm -hmm. Otherwise you're going to drive yourself crazy, Mm -hmm. always skipping around, trying to make everybody happy. You've got to find a really happy medium that allows you to maintain quality of life.
1: So there's some value in setting up with your ideals, doing a little experimentation, but then really paying attention Right, And taking notes so that you can, as soon as possible, dial in the standard, yeah. right? You know, we were talking about standard operating procedures and how valuable that is mm-hmm. for streamlining things and even being able to put other people in charge of things. And uh, yeah, definitely in food and things like that, it's good to dial in what you want, but then stay flexible. If mm-hmm. you've got somebody who really has special needs, attend to them, but don't necessarily think you need to shift your program
0: for that. Right. Yeah. Right. What else have you done different over the years? One of the things that I do differently now is I try to do a lot of preloading and preconditioning of the people who come. So when we're doing events, so it's a little bit different when we're leading flying trapeze classes than when we're doing events, because the flying trapeze classes are either people who come on a regular basis or people who are doing one-offs. And a lot of that exists within the time frame where the class is happening. But for the events, you're going to have people who maybe have never even been in this environment and they have all kinds of ideas of what it's going to be like and they never include the sheer number of bugs they're going to encounter. That's a big So one. you already know that their edge is going to get pushed because they didn't think about the bugs and they come down here and they're, you know, it's Costa Rica, it's the most biodiverse place on earth and it's because of the bugs, right? They don't think about that and that pushes their comfort zone a lot. So we try to imagine ourselves... As a person who's never been here before and look at all the marketing that's done, not just by your, you, know, our company, but by all companies and what people's, what they're anticipating, what their expectation is. And then you put yourself in their shoes. So in the first few years, you know, maybe we're thinking, oh, well, this is such an awesome space. Of course, people are going to be happy and we're going to provide this thing. And of course, they're going to love it. But what you come to realize is that now you really do have to put yourself in other people's shoes and listen to them report back to you their experience and then preload them before they get here. Even, even at the risk of losing a client, one of the things that I've learned, I think I learned it in New York city uh, and other cities, but it's become super, super apparent here is that if there's a chance that you're going to lose a client once they get here, because they encounter something that is a no pass, That is a rule that is a deal breaker it's better to get that done before they get here because they will feel if you've done it caringly if you've thought it through with them and said okay i just you need to know that this is what you're going to encounter here if you're like more than honest with them about everything that's going to happen they'll probably still decide to come but they won't blame you for the thing you know, right. they'll see that you did your best. Right. And bugs is a perfect example because you know we have snakes, spiders, bugs, tarantulas, scorpions. It's all here. Not often, but they are here. And if you wait for them to get here to hit them with that, some people are just like, "Oh my God! If I knew that I've there were totally be tarantulas, right? Yeah. I never would have come. Like that's my worst nightmare." Those same people, those same types of people, if you tell them in advance, "Hey, you know what? We got tarantulas." they're going to take a moment to think about it. Like, is that something I can manage, but mm-hmm. they're not going to feel like you pulled it on them in the last moment. So I'd rather lose a client being real with them up front and preloading them with what they know so that their money's being spent to fit them in their comfort zone to the best of their ability. than have them come down here and be surprised.
1: Wow. That's great. And so you do that in an email or a series of emails. Yeah. Or- it's
0: a series of things. So we're working with the coaches at first. And so first we, we, You know sort of condition our coaches to understand what they're getting themselves into hey you can't train all day it gets too hot in the middle of the day you need to be aware of how you guys eat because if you eat too much at breakfast you won't be able to train for the rest of the day because your body's digesting slower because it's so hot you know there's all these things that can really affect people's experience here that we try to relate to the teachers and then we also write emails and we sort of give each piece of information where we think it makes sense in the timeline of their getting used to the idea of coming. And then we have a, a big one sort of in the middle and a big one at the end that gives a, a ton of detail about what they have to expect.
1: Okay, well, let's, let's dip into that a little bit because I know I've learned in, in my recent adventures with this podcast and, and uh, working with more of the online tools that that email communication is actually super valuable and underused by really most businesses across Mm -hmm. the board around the planet. Mm -hmm. But uh, especially in these very unique situations, Mm -hmm. it makes tons of sense. Like, yeah, of course we need to be letting people know. And we have a little, you know, disclaimer on our website and send a little email out, but do you, you're saying you have a series of emails that you send people? Can you describe mm-hmm. that for some people that don't really necessarily use their email list or have mm-hmm. much of an active communication? What's like a kind of a framework you use or sure. have set up to communicate with people before they arrive to your event?
0: Sure. So and, and it's kind of a two part campaign because as you know, like no one wants to read anything. Like who has time to read anything other than what they want to be spending their time reading? So part of your campaign is to develop material that is intriguing mm-hmm. because you want to draw people into your story. And, you know, the story of your business is probably the most important thing. And your emails are the first thing that start to tell your story. Like, why should you spend your money with us? Why should you come here? You know, do you do that through humor? Do you do that through storytelling? How do you do that? And develop a story that is unique, you know, to who you are and really captures what you want them to know. And then the second thing is, disseminating that information in a way that flows for them because you, you know, the first story is going to be imposing, right? I'm really busy. I have 50 emails to read today. Right? So that first story has got to be really intriguing. You know, it's not like you always have to tell a story, but whatever those first pieces are, they have to be intriguing. So when the next email shows up, they're like, ah, here's that email. I'm kind of into reading that. Mm -hmm. And then you're making space for you in their life. Right? Right. By whatever means, you're using humor, whatever it is. And then when you feel, uh, when you feel like you've put out enough information, you got to go back and rip, make sure that people are reading this stuff because most people are just going to put it off and then they're going to show up and say, oh, you never told me that. No, oh, actually, we did in the email. And then it's a fight. you like, avoid that conflict, right? You're never going to win that conflict. So we start saying to the teachers, like, I want you to check off that each person knows this information, A, B, C, D, E. And we keep a spreadsheet to confirm what people know and what they don't know. And then we sort of back that up by saying, we want to know your flights in, we want to know your flights out, we want to know how you're getting down here, we want to know if you have any allergies, we want to know what medications you are. And through that, we're showing them, you're coming to a place where we're going to know you deeply. We're going to know how to take care of you, we're going to know what's important to you, we're going to know what your preferences are, we're going to know what bothers you, you know, and we're going to know what your goals are. And I think that it's through developing this kind of a relationship where it's like, oh, I'm not just going somewhere where they're taking my money and giving me sort of like a pat experience. They're actually thinking about me. And when I show up, I know your name and I have memorized your allergies and I've memorized your food preferences, you know? And I'll be like, hey, oh yeah, man, it's so good to see you. Okay, I I just want you to know, I remember like you're allergic to peanuts. We've talked to the chefs. Her name is Tatiana. Tatiana. If you have any questions, make sure you speak with her, but you know, this is where peanuts will show up in the meals and we'll remind you to avoid them in these ways, you know? So I think it's through that kind of like, I don't know, I guess it really comes down to like, despite how painful it can be sometimes caring for each client as if they're family, yeah. you know, and just making sure they feel cared for.
1: Yeah. Know what you described right there are really. Hey there, fellow visionary leaders, retreat hosts, and community builders, I got a special resource for you. Are you managing a project that has communally used spaces? Would you like to enhance their sense of harmony and clarity for both members and visitors alike? The Community Living Agreements training is for you. Discover how to craft agreements that enhance interactions, reduce conflict, and build a stronger community spirit. It's not just a rule book you'd be creating, it's a living document that makes your project a joy to interact with. Head to regenerationnationcr.com forward slash C-L-A to access the recordings. To save 20%, use the coupon code PODCAST. Again, that URL is regenerationnationcr.com forward slash C-L-A and the coupon code is PODCAST. Sharing communal spaces is better with clear agreements. Feel like thinking about arriving under those circumstances versus arriving under most circumstances where there really is no connection, there's no relationship built, there's just a transaction, I bought your thing, I showed up, okay, now we're going to figure it out. They have that level of attention, it makes just amazing first impressions. Mm-hmm. So in this series of, of getting to know them before
0: they arrive, but how many emails do they receive? Probably no more than five. Okay. But some of it's emails, more of it is confirmations from the teacher. So we expect the coaches to also be developing that same kind of relationship. So some of it will do, and some of it will ask the coaches to do. And we have a spreadsheet for tracking, did this happen, did this happen, did this happen.
1: And you have some of these emails set up in like an automation program of some sort? or You know, somebody's uh, just crazily, in charge of we manually write almost everyone,
0: them? you know, separately. Because oh my goodness. So far, like oh. it's each one has been so unique uh-huh. in its way but yeah some of it is pretty standard language so i have some cut and paste stuff but a lot we yeah i don't mind taking the time to do stuff right on yeah
1: okay so you've already begun to curate a very personal intimate relationship with them before they even arrive and then mm-hmm. they get here and you know There's the superficial, you know, reason of coming of, oh my gosh, the flying trapezes is brilliant, whether they've done it before and they just really want to train or it's a unique novel experience that they just want to like, hey, let's go do that. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Get caught by an ad or something or a, a word of mouth recommendation. But beyond the, the like big upfront draw. And the benefits of it, I mean, definitely, um, you know, I can think of benefits of the actual exercise being, you know, good for not only physical wellness, but I know this morning when you had me up there, there was this very rich experience of present moment and uh, everything's moving so fast and a single blink of thought Mm -hmm. can miss your timing, Mm -hmm. right? Timing's everything. Mm -hmm. So being able to stay present enough to listen to your instructions and not be in one's head, Mm -hmm. it really felt like, like I was like, I had to really remind myself when I was about to jump, like Mm -hmm. it's game time, Mm -hmm. all focus now, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's training. There's a practice there. And Mm -hmm. I, and, uh, I definitely felt immediately that extra value that comes with, experience but then you were talking about you mentioned something really interesting I want you to talk a little bit more about it is the value and this I think would pertain to other movement based retreats Mm -hmm. and you're talking about Something that happens in the body mind connection when one is focused and really present with their body and intentional with their postures mm-hmm. in all moments versus maybe a normal, less aware state of being, so you mentioned that's kind of part of your program, so share a little bit more about your philosophy and experience with that
0: Sure well, this kind of comes back to the the concept that you know I want to make sure that my gift to people through their experience here is multi-leveled because there's what their expectation that they come in. There's the expectation I have of myself. There's what's possible through, you know, quote unquote magic. And then there's, you know, experience teaching and all these things can be working together to certain goals. And most people come in with the goal of getting better at the thing, Mm -hmm. right? But if you sit down and you really ask yourself the question, like, why do I want to be better at the thing? Well, maybe I want to feel better about myself. Maybe I want to feel more connected to my community. Maybe I want to feel more connected to quote unquote God, you know? And so because I know this in my background on human development, I sort of boil everything down to if there was one gift I could give through everything that I do, what would it be? And my answer is connect people to flow. Because when you feel that you're in flow, you feel like you belong on the planet. You feel worthy. You feel generous and compassionate, all these things that you know are the ideals of humanity can be attained through finding flow, being present and finding flow. And so when I'm teaching on the trapeze, even if I'm giving a very truncated introduction like you got today, that's always in the back of my mind. And of course, I'm looking at students and how they learn. And some people have more sovereignty, more independence, and some people need a lot of attention and need a lot of handholding through the process. But the goal is always flow because if they can even start to sense what it feels like to have a little bit of flow or a little bit more presence in their life, that will ignite their natural desire to seek more of that. Yes. And uh, I have an old saying, which is that if you've never been loved, you don't know the truth of love. Like Mm -hmm. you just can't understand what even feels like to be loved. So you can't be expected to behave in a loving way. And it's kind of the same way with, um, flow. Because if, if you haven't been put in an environment where you're encouraged to get into that state, you don't even know what you're missing, you know? And when people talk about their lives feeling two dimensional, you know, most of us are smart enough to say, well, what's missing from a two dimensional life? Well, a lot of times it's being loved or feeling connected or feeling a part of, or feeling, you know, uh, like the universe is on your side or whatever it is. That's what kind of stretches life into three dimensions. And so that's the essence of what we're trying to accomplish. And all of the details of if you're getting better or not become very secondary to that process.
1: Awesome. Yeah. And this is, you know, this comes into just mindfulness practice and applying it to all things, right? And so I'm thinking about this concept and I'm curious if we can explore... Because there's a command with being on the trapeze that like it's so unique and it's just like when you're in your head, you realize like that was the wrong place to be. Mm -hmm. I need to really let go, be in the flow, aware, Mm -hmm. listen, move, Mm -hmm. be with the rhythm. So that commands Mm -hmm. it. But obviously we know that there's a lot of ways to bring mindfulness to what people are doing. Mm -hmm. And I can imagine that being on the trapeze, while it does enhance the likelihood of a attaining that point of reference mm-hmm. of flow state. Mm-hmm. Um, I can imagine that it's very easy to have a different type of instruction that just keeps you in your head and you're like just fumbling longer. And you, it seems like you have a little bit more of an art of bringing people to that point of reference mm-hmm. quicker than they would on their own. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing that you would be able to do that not on the trapeze, whether you were showing, giving a tour of the gardens, Mm -hmm. you know, our opportunities Mm -hmm. to bring people to that flow state. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that you do or have designed into your instruction style Mm -hmm. that helps bring people to that point of reference Mm -hmm. earlier than later?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. So it's interesting because we were talking a little bit before we got on air about, um, what kind of things, decisions do you make to see your business thrive and prosper? And one of the things that I said was location. And most people, when you tell them location, uh, they think, oh, is it accessible? You know, and you might think, oh, is there a good view? But one thing that is overlooked is that when you nail the location, you're dialing in a frequency for people when they show up because they're like, oh, this makes sense. And that's already step one. And this place, this kind of a place in most of the businesses I've built, I always look for a location that's not only like, oh, this is the right vibration, but like, holy crap, this is beautiful. Already that starts a sense of magic and starts to shift their energy and their thinking. Like, I don't have to do anything. you see that waterfall and you're like, <laughs> okay, something's going on here. Like, how did this happen? That starts the magical thinking and You know, I use the word magic loosely, but there's a a concept that I work with is that um, confusion always precedes enlightenment. And my job is to send you into confusion so that I can shake off the things that are holding you to your current set of processing systems and instill new processing systems. Now, who am I to say what processing systems that you should or shouldn't have? And the good news is that I don't. I actually put them in front of you and your own system decides, yeah, that's right or that's wrong. And you either take it in or you don't. So when you say something like, well, some stuff is more heady and some stuff is more experiential, I might say, well, it really depends on the person's resources. Because if they come with a lot of muscular understanding of sports, then I can access that resource to get them further down the line. Than I would maybe their intellect. But if they come with a lot of intellectual power and their intellectual power is more refined than their muscular memory of sports, well that's where I'm gonna go first because that's what they got going for them. So I'm building on their I'm building on their foundation of knowledge already. And that once they see me do that without any conversation about it, people go, oh, they get it at a kind of a basic level, like this guy knows how to teach me, but then never maybe say that out loud but they feel it because they see themselves making progress and they feel good about it and that's the connection right and then when the moment comes you can give talks about the things that might be lacking like if you want to see this progress forward here you're going to need to put more of your attention like you already have this going for you and you're killing it with this if you want to see this move forward you are gonna to have to do this and so instead of it being a judgment about well I'm not very sporty Mm -hmm. Well, no, it's not that you're not sporty. It's just that your resources happen to be in this area. And if this is what you want to pursue and accomplish, then you have to also invest some energy into these other areas. Right. So that's, that's kind of how we do that.
1: So you, you find their strengths to give them, to help them feel comfortable in their point of reference. But then it seems like you're also looking for their weaknesses and using those as some kind of like pattern interrupt. Or yeah. you're kind of giving them something like to focus on something unique as a way of seems like maybe after they're grounded you you feed feed that grounded nature and then you're giving them something else to do that switches them out of that yeah
0: yeah well the reason I chose trapeze in the first place was that it has already a natural system without the facilitation which is that it puts you in a an environment where you have to question whether you're going to live or not like it doesn't matter if you're intellectually smart enough to convince yourself, well, I'm wearing a safety belt and there's a net there, so I'm probably gonna be okay. It doesn't matter, like anybody who's standing on that platform for the first time, they're kind of shitting themselves, <laughs> right? And they're saying, this is who I am right now. If I jump off this platform, once I land in that net, I'm either gonna be dead or I'm gonna be different, Oh, right? And why I fell in love with flying trapeze is that when you land in the net and you realize you're different, You say, I had no idea I was capable of that. And if that's true, what else am I not, you know, aware that I'm capable of? Yeah. And that's restarting the natural process of curiosity of what you're able, because most people, by the time they're like 15 or 16, have decided what they're capable of. Mm -hmm. Right. Once that shuts down, man, compassion is not far behind. Mm -hmm. Right. Interest is not far behind. Like depression is not far behind. Mm -hmm. You know, but if you can reignite people's sense of what they might be capable of, and it's very natural that when that's reignited, the first thing that people want to do is like, Hey, look what I discovered I'm capable of. Well, of course you're capable of that. That's the fire. You know, once you start that fire, it's on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great. And then it's just
1: a matter of cultivating that with, yeah. And making mistakes. (laughs) And going horribly (laughs) wrong. (laughs) So, in the course of people being here and getting that experience of learning that they're capable of more than they thought, mm-hmm. and getting a point of reference for flow state, mm-hmm. which is super valuable mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, uh, great thing to be able to carry forward in life. You're saying that there's more that people are experiencing here than they're aware of. Mm-hmm. You've you've interwoven certain. Uh, concepts and experiences into their stay that are also part of kind of your therapeutic guidance, perhaps. Mm-hmm. And so share some of those little touches that you've sprinkled into into your program that, sure. uh, that make a difference.
0: So one thing about my background, uh, which will lead to a, a conclusion that I'll share with you, is that I have worked with schizophrenics and battered women and abandoned children. And doing that kind of frontline work, you get a really close look at how people enter the therapeutic environment. And one thing I think most therapists learn is that therapeutic relationships are absolutely critical because you just can't depend on your friends and your family for everything. That being said, the expectations when someone enters a therapeutic relationship are such that you almost expect A whole new line of defense and resistance to the thing that you're doing like the minute you meet somebody and they say they're a psychologist people's you know hackles go up or if you say I think you need therapy there's just a lot of like not good press around that so I think it's absolutely important to hold your concept of what is therapeutic in sort of a nebulous area where you can activate with it and take action on it and have systems that are developed around it without ever having it so concrete that you get fooled into thinking you're doing more or better than you can because it's really up to the individual to take their own step forward right and also we don't talk about it like it's fight club we don't talk about fight club right? It's therapy. We don't talk about therapy because I don't want to deal with the resistance that people will bring if I call it therapy. But by that same token, I can't have an expectation of a therapeutic outcome. I can only try to find systems that I know generally consistently deliver a particular kind of outcome and do my best to deliver them to other people in the most compassionate, thoughtful facilitation I can. Because once I start thinking I'm doing something, I'm making you better, I'm giving you an opportunity, it breaks down. But if I build an environment where systems that I have seen have worked in the past, for example, you enter the kitchen, you feel welcomed by this beautiful sun. You may not even be aware of it, but the look on the sun's face, man, just makes you feel like awesome. Right away. You know, And there's a poem that goes around the top of the room that most people don't notice until their you know, third or fourth day here, but it's a roomy poem about staying present and staying awake and just there are all these pieces that I've put in that you may or you may not notice but as a general rule I have seen them have a particular kind of influence on people and if that person is ready for that piece of work or ready for that movement that thing will influence them to that movement and if they're not that's okay no problem okay yeah so you're using aesthetics you're using
1: imagery words Tell me more. What, what other little things are you, you weaving? What other people, things are people subliminally finding or enhancing their experience?
0: Well, I'm, you know, it's it's funny because we use like these words that are kind of a little crunchy granola, but, um, milieu to me is very important. Like when you walk into a space, not only how, how clean it is, but how it's clean has a lot to do with how people experience that space. And, um, I notice for myself, when I walk into a space, a space can be cluttered, but if I feel like my awareness can kind of reach out into all parts of the room without feeling icky, without feeling icky, Uh I start to feel safer and the safer I feel, the more open to ideas I feel, the more energy I'm bringing, the more presence I'm bringing. If I can get 10 people feeling like that, then it's on, right? We just had a retreat here recently where we had, you know, five people who didn't know each other. And they all came into the space and they all had a very similar reaction to the space and the environment and the way that we sat down and talked and, and that I speak honestly and I'm not trying to, you know, um, I'm not trying to condition them to think that it's a particular thing. I'm just conditioning them to be ready to take whatever it is on. And I speak very honestly and I swear a lot. And so there's no, there's no pretense that I'm trying to make it pretty. And I I think that in this particular case, you know, with their own stuff and bringing in their own like vibes, like they really sparked it off together and they bonded super tight. And by day three, they were talking about like really powerful concepts. And I'm like, I left the room because I don't know. This thing is taking care of itself now. I don't need to like manage that anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. So. Yeah. So it's milieu. It's uh, thinking about what makes people feel. Like they're in a special place because if you go and you spend fifteen hundred to two thousand five hundred dollars and you feel like the place isn't quality, that's hard. Like you feel like you didn't quite get your money's worth. So how do you start a business and provide things that are extremely expensive generally when your price points aren't super, super high? Cause like high-end hotels are you know four to seven, eight thousand dollars for a week or whatever, we're not charging that kind of money. So each thing that I do. I try to design it in a way that it feels special, okay? And so that when they see it, they're like, oh, I didn't think of that. Like I've got hammocks strung all over the place. And when people walk in, one of the first things they say is, look at all the hammocks. Cause like all year long, they're just like, I would love to lay in a hammock. Imagine showing up here and there's one hammock And 10 people who all year long have been like, God, I would love to be in a hammock. No, there's like those places, right? There's uh, there's (laughs) as many hammocks as you need so that every one of you can get into a hammock, you know, or lay around next to a hammock with somebody. You know, these kinds of things have a deep effect on people and feeling like they're getting something more. It's so true. No, I love
1: the hammock uh, touch. And that's like, it's the thing. It's like you come to the tropics and you're like, of course, there's a bunch of hammocks. But then when there's not like I, I was gone for a few years uh, in the States and I came back. Um, When I got back to the farm, there was like the main common area had a hammock. I was like, huh? (laughs) Really? Yep. (laughs) um let's go buy some hammocks because <laughs> they're not that expensive really. that person's in a hammock and i'm the owner and i want to lay in a hammock and yeah. i'm not going to kick the person out like this is definitely a sign that that we need hammocks people right. that's like one of those little touches like to be able to just kick back yeah it's such an exquisite gift and it's those moments of reflection when they get to just put themselves down and rest yeah. and look at the treetops and the birds. Yeah. and stop long enough to recognize where they are mm-hmm. uh, without having to like go crawl into the house somewhere on a yeah. couch or a bed or yeah. and they can just relax outside hammock culture is just it's a it's, big deal it's that it's people a shame don't get that exposed to it's not more to. of a thing yeah, in, the, so in other awesome. countries yeah yeah mm-hmm.
0: and then I'd say uh, a couple more things like one is the story so for example I c- really couldn't afford putting in like a $25,000 pool And I really didn't think it was necessary because there's a lot of water features in the area. And then it kind of occurred to me, well, I want to put in a cool looking pool. And I put in a kind of cool looking pool that feels very natural and it makes sense with the space because you can get in the pool and look at the waterfall. And at night, there's a fireplace as part of the pool. So we light these fires and you're in the pool and there's a fire and that's really cool. And everybody sits around in chairs and plays music. It's just cool. But you also want to think about the story of what you have and how to resource the other things that are around. So when people show up here and they're like, oh, that pool is so cool. And I'll be like, yeah, but you just wait because I'm going to take you to this awesome river. And then I'm going to take you to the like, top of this waterfall and we're going to lay at the edge of the waterfall and the water's going to flow over us as it falls down this 300 you know, foot fall. So you use the thing that they're interested in to build your story of why their experience is going to be beyond what they ever imagined, and mm-hmm. that's really cool.
1: So they're here, and they're not even at the waterfall, and they're already they're excited already about the waterfall. Psyched. They're yeah. already
0: super psyched, and mm-hmm. they're already the first day. They're already thinking, "Kaching, kaching, kaching," you know, and their idea about the value they've gotten for their money is already satisfied and now they can relax. Because what do you do when you first get to a hotel? You're like, how nice is the bed? How nice is the food? How nice was the person at the thing? Uh, Right. So, And if you're aware of that and that happens within you, how do you address that with a client when they show up so that you're answering that question before they even know they're asking it really is what it is. And then the last thing I would say is there are a lot of experiences that you can give people that they don't even think that they want because they haven't had that experience in their life. And one thing that I learned as a kid, because I was not a very helpful kid when I was young. And then some things happened that sort of opened my eyes to like why it's cool to be helpful to people. And after that, like for example, I would never help with dishes when I was a little kid, right? And when I got older and was started seeing the value in doing that, there was a day when I was standing at the sink with my aunt, you know, and we both had our hands in the warm soapy water and we're talking about, our lives and experiences, and I just kind of realized, whoa, like this is a kind of bonding I never would have had had I not come to the conclusion that being helpful was a good thing, right? And so instead of us like taking up everybody's dishes at the end of the night, we have everybody wash their own dishes. And on the surface, it's kind of like, oh, wait a minute, I gotta wash a dish, but inevitably, People through the process of helping and, and being together, accomplishing things together, as simple as that. And the sensuality of the experience is that bonding is like essential. And so you're always looking at how people interact on your property and not, you know, you think about where do they need to be separated from each other? Where do they need to feel a sense of autonomy?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And where can we give them opportunities to be a community? that are limited that don't force them to like have to face all their stress about it but give them a moment of that to Mm -hmm. take home with them yeah so those are the kinds of things i think about
1: okay hey let's touch on that again so washing their dishes together and having that give me another thing or two that you do to help bring community (laughs) intentional
0: (laughs) intentionally bring community into uh the program okay um Well, one thing that, you know, you're likely to experience if you come to Airborne Arts is that you're going to be sleeping in a dormitory. And usually when I go to a hotel, especially if I spend as much as I spend coming here, I want my own space. But the truth is, and I think this is true for a lot of people, that what we're most comfortable with and what we think we want or need are oftentimes very different things. And I think that when we're kids and we get the opportunity to go to camp and even though we have to listen to the kid next door snoring or somebody's farting or whatever's happening that's kind of annoying, there's something that you get about going to sleep with people in the room and people talking and everybody falling asleep while they're talking. There's something that you get about waking up in the middle of the night and hearing other people breathing or, or like noticing someone else is awake and reading and that you're, that you're there with them or waking up in the morning and having everybody start talking about the day. There's something about that experience that I think is essential. And if there's any way that I can get people to get comfortable with being in a dorm, That's where I want them to be. Now, I do have private spaces and sometimes people come and they'll start in a dorm and they're like, I just can't sleep and then we'll Mm -hmm. move them into a private space. Of course, you know, we're going to do our best. But if there's any way I can give the people that experience, I think it's absolutely essential for us feeling a sense of belonging, you know, to sleep in the same room with other people. It's just such a special, special experience.
1: I'm really glad you shared that. That's a unique take on the dorm experience. Often it's seen as like, the budget, you know, well, if I have to kind of experience, but no, it's, that's a really deep insight that it it does. It fosters, you know, besides maybe a sense of community and getting to know each other well, but I think it's really is valuable for people. Again, those pattern interrupts, if they're not used to being among other people, you know, we wake up every day with very similar morning routines or thought patterns, but all of a sudden when there's other influences, it triggers us into different patterns different mm-hmm. thought processes mm-hmm. different examinations of the day you might see somebody that's really just woke up with a brilliant vibe they're mm-hmm. just happy to be awake and then that's all of a, a sudden point. it gets to infect everybody Yeah, and um yeah no i love i love that's that cool. uh, the dorm experience yeah it mm-hmm. is it's rich it's valuable and uh it's worth having for mm-hmm. those that are it's a unique experience yeah mhm Great. Well, I've taken up a bunch of your morning here already, and I guess we're into the afternoon already. Thanks so much for your time. My pleasure. Thank Um, you. Is there anything you want to say to listeners that might be wanting to buy land and build a retreat center and do something special, practice their trade and invite other people in for experiences? Any words of advice or uh, encouragement or otherwise?
0: I guess the main thing I would say is, you know, as you we get excited about our ideas and it's important to defend a good idea. You have to defend a good idea, but don't defend that idea to the extent that you're missing obvious things that might cause you to need to modify that idea. And there are a lot of people who come to Costa Rica with an idea and they start something and they fail because they're so focused on their idea then they may not be aware that someone is doing that same idea and has done it well right next door and that's not a good environment for competition so make sure that you challenge your ideas and that you have people who are already existing in the space challenge your ideas because a good idea can survive the scrutiny of what's actually happening in a space and if your idea can't survive that thank god because That wasn't the right thing, and better that you know before you put out a half a million dollars in two years of your life. You'll have another idea. If you had one, you'll have another idea. Find the idea that survives the scrutiny, and that's the idea where you want to put your energy.
1: Okay. Yeah. Great. No, that's solid. Tell listeners where they can find out about Airborne Arts, what you're doing, where, where can they find you online?
0: Yeah, it's easy. So you just... Put in www.airbornearts.com. Airborne has an E at the end, so it's A-I-R-B-O-R-N-E, arts, as it's normally spelled. We're in Costa Rica above the beach of Dominical. And um, usually we're open most of the year. This year we're going to be semi-sort of closed between August and December. And the high season is really like December, January, February, March, April, And yeah, you can go to our website and see all the different events that are going on or just stop by and take a flying trapeze class. Okay. Yeah. Cool deal. And uh, just before we go, I want to
1: plug your, um, you are looking for coaches. You're Mm -hmm. looking to train someone to uh, help spread the magic. So uh, tell us a little bit about what kind of person that you'd be interested getting a call from or an email.
0: Great. So there's a couple of teams that we are looking to build. One is to help us run events and the other is to help run on the flying trapeze. They're going to have similar uh, personalities probably, but some of the things that are going to be really important is that uh, communication skills have to be really, really high. And you have to be the kind of person that understands that, you know, not having conflict is not the answer. Having conflict with the intention of getting back to understanding is the answer. Mm -hmm. And, um, your sense of milieu has to be very high. So if you haven't been complimented on your ability to keep a space beautiful and clean, probably you're not the kind of person that should be doing this kind of work. Like if you're just like, if people aren't just falling over themselves for your space, right? Organizational skills, obviously. And also you have to have like a personal sort of thread of what's, why are you doing this? Because if you're coming here because you want to be in a cool place doing cool stuff, that's not enough. mm mm-hmm. If you're coming here to make money, well, that definitely is not enough. <laughs> if you're coming here because you're looking for an opportunity to challenge your understandings about how you're going to do your best work in the world and have that refined through experience, you're probably the right kind of person. Mm-hmm. And
1: are you you looking for people that specifically have aerial trapeze skills or are you, is there... Kind of open to training people or
0: I am definitely open to training people you just need to be aware that there's like one or two jobs aerial jobs that you can learn in a month and but most jobs on the flying trapeze to become good at them and to actually become a value to the team can take anywhere from a year to two years just to get basically good at it Mm -hmm. so if you wanted to work on the aerial or trapeze team and you came in with basic skills already that would be a big plus Mm -hmm. for sure Mm -hmm. yeah
1: all right great well absolute pleasure thank you so much uh happy trails on your your adventure coming up and uh yeah great to be in touch oh thank you so much hey there hope you enjoyed the episode are you stewarding a land project and hosting guests i've put together a unique tool for you and i'm giving it away for free if you'd like to create a virtual tour of your farm or retreat center my virtual farm tour guide is a step-by-step companion to showcasing your space in a whole new way from choosing the right software to crafting easy to follow narratives, this free guide simplifies the process, ensuring your guests enjoy an immersive experience, whether you're home or away. Visit regenerationnation.com forward slash VFT to access this free resource and start your virtual farm tour journey today. You've got a beautiful place. Let me help you show it off. Again, that URL is regenerationnationcr.com forward slash VFT. Hey there, hope you enjoyed the episode. Are you stewarding a land project and hosting guests? I've put together a unique tool for you and I'm giving it away for free. If you'd like to create a virtual tour of your farm or retreat center, my virtual farm tour guide is a step-by-step companion to showcasing your space in a whole new way. From choosing the right software to crafting easy to follow narratives, this free guide simplifies the process, ensuring your guests enjoy an immersive experience, whether you're home or away. Visit regenerationnation.com forward slash VFT to access this free resource and start your virtual farm tour journey today. You've got a beautiful place. Let me help you show it off. Again, that URL is regenerationnationcr.com forward slash VFT.